accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints, just people. Hey everybody, welcome to the Season 1 DS9 wrap-up video. If you're unfamiliar, every uh, after every season of TNG and Deep Space Nine and everything, I like to do a little bit of a wrap-up. allows us to catch our breath, sort of collect our thoughts about where we've been, give out some, you know, quote-unquote awards and everything like that, and just sort of get my general thoughts for the season on tape and recorded and everything. So that's what this video is going to be, just me discussing Season 1 of DS9, what I thought about the show and the characters and all that. Uh, first things first, though, we are, or I put up a survey. Uh, there's a link in the video description here or in the podcast blurb. Uh, if you complete the survey, it's a short one. It's only about eight questions. It's about the podcast in general, just trying to get some feedback about what people think. Uh, but if you complete it, you can enter to win a raffle to, or enter a raffle to win a prize. I'm going to be giving away the entire DS9 DVD set. So it's all the episodes in the uh, the sort of new packaging that they came out. It's a little sort of cube package with the uh, the station on it. It's very shiny. There'll be a link to what exactly it is in the description as well. So if you guys click on the link for the survey, fill out the survey, and then let me know in the survey if you want to enter that contest. You'll be uh, given a ticket, and I'll randomly select one of you to get sent to this DVD set. Thanks very much. And even if you don't want to... Uh, you know, win the prize, it would be appreciated if you could fill out the survey. It's just a couple questions about um, what you like, what things could change about the podcast and stuff like that. It's just trying to gauge audience, um, where the audience feels, where everyone stands on how the podcast is going so far. That's about it. And other than that, uh, if you're on Patreon, we're doing the AMA podcast. So me and Clay are going to be doing an Ask Me Anything podcast on that. So if you're a patron, you can uh, ask questions as well as get that podcast. It should come out after the 15th at some point, maybe closer to the 20th. That'll be the general area anyway, but that's about it. The Ask Me Anything on Patreon is up, so you're getting your questions in. Uh, the 15th is the cutoff for that. And then complete the survey, win a prize. That's the only other thing. So with that said, let's get into season one of DS9. So I think that... um you know, in general, this DS9 season one ran alongside TNG season six. And I was looking at the memory alpha and Michael Piller had this to say, when you look at the first season of Deep Space Nine, essentially what I think you see is our intention to do stories that bring in fans of the next generation. If you create a space station that is at the crossroads of the universe, then you basically have the justification for bringing in old friends from past episodes. Their ships would normally come through this crossroads, and we felt this was a good way to bring viewers to the show. I think by the second season, we were looking more at standing on our own two feet, and we hadn't been entirely satisfied. When we really started doing stories about our space station and really made it unique to itself, that's when the series, I think, really became special. So that's pretty much the problem with season one of DS9, in my opinion, is that, um, you know, we, as if you've been listening to the episodes as we've gone through, a big criticism has just been the fact that it's basically a warmed-over TNG show at this point, and it's not really... Uh, even a good version of that because the show hasn't settled into what the writers are familiar with, what the characters are able to do, what the actors are able to do as the characters. So it's really just a awkwardly sort of homage to TNG where they're bringing in guest stars from TNG. Loxana Troy came in, uh, Lursa and Bator are in an episode, Q is in an episode. And it feels except for the emissary and in the hands of the prophet it profits it feels very much like it's just the show trying to copy tng and 
you know, bring people in who are familiar with TNG and want to see this new show that's exactly the same thing for some reason. It's kind of a weird way to go about it. It makes sense on one level that you'd want people to have something familiar that they could latch on. On another level, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's like, why make it a new show at that point? Um, why not just dedicate your energies to season seven of TNG, which could have desperately needed it, but that's not what happened. And starting at the beginning, I think Emissary is generally a pretty good pilot of a TV show. It might be the tra- best uh, Trek pilot. I haven't seen Voyager's Caretaker or um, Broken Bow uh, for Enterprise. I haven't seen those uh, recently, so I don't know if those are better, but I think Emissary is generally better than Counter at Farpoint, and it's generally better than um, whatever you consider the TOS pilots to be. There's the three episodes. You can pick which one you think is the best, and I still think Emissary is better. It does a good job of setting up the station. It does a good job of setting up the universe. It's a little bit inconsistent with how it handles Cisco and everything. You can listen to our podcast about that, but it's... um, It generally sets the stage very well. It introduces all the characters somewhat efficiently, and it really does a good job of showing you what the location is for the show and how it's going to be a little bit different than TNG. Unfortunately, um, going forward after that, it's a lot of scripts that just feel like warmed over TNG plots. There's no exploration of the nation the nature of the station there's no it's a solitary standalone setting and people are coming to the station but it's not in it's having no impact on anything that's going forward the storylines aren't really um complicated at that point it's just a a guest star of the week sort of attitude uh, in the middle of the season where characters come in then they disappear and there's no real change to anything uh it feels like bad sci-fi plots paired with weak character work because the characters aren't good enough at this point to really have strong episodes that focus on them. So you do things like the uh, Babel plot where it's just a sci-fi sort of people can't communicate and it's paired with, you know, what a character story that's going on. It's got a Dax story going there and it's got an O'Brien thing. It's got a little bit of a Bashir O'Brien relationship. So they're trying to get the characters to work out with each other, but they're pairing them with very much TNG sci-fi stories, which isn't really what the show does well. These are all scripts that were not produced for TNG. They're sort of holdovers, and they were just kicking the can down the road until they got to DS9, and they needed scripts, so they went with these sort of bad scripts that had been kicking around. Um, The storylines in general are unable to generate like a convincing action or conflict level that would keep you watching. A lot of the stories don't feel like stories at all. They just feel like plots that are going on. Um, I'm thinking of like Captain Pursuit and stuff like that are, are really very, you don't really learn a lot about people. It's not a story that you're trying to tell. It really feels much more like the plot points are just being hit one after another to get from point A to point B to point C to wrap up the story. And the scripts don't feel like they're written with any kind of care. They're written very much as a technical aspect. There's nothing interesting that holds your attention. There's nothing convincing about any of the stories until later on in the season. Um, and I think that also ties into the the fact that the middle episodes outside of really Emissary and In the Hands of the Prophets and a few others that are sprinkled in, there's a surprising lack of wormhole usage and there's a surprising lack of Bajor and Cardassians. There's really only two episodes with Cardassians in them in any sort of sense. And they're set up as a major threat and the in the hands of the prophets implies that the Cardassians are, are sort of out there and they're always lurking and they as soon as the Federation leaves the Cardassians will be back but the other episodes of the season never really get that across to you it's not interested in the wormhole this revolutionary thing that's apparently changed the exploration of the um, 
Milky Way or whatever is um, rarely entered. It's it's gone into in a couple of episodes, but you don't really get a sense for what the Gamma Quadrant is. On the other side, you get a couple episodes of aliens coming through the wormhole, and they're all very TNG Alien of the Week stories. We haven't met anyone who's going to stand out as a uh, force to be reckoned with. On the other side, we haven't met any sort of alien species that is obviously going to be continuing on in any storyline. They're all just the characters like um, Tosh and the the Wadi from the uh, Move Along Home episode. They're characters that are forgettable, pointless, and they are just treated as sort of one-offs when they come through the wormhole. The wormhole and the whole Gamma Quadrant isn't really treated with the importance that it seems to have in the universe it, it it seems like a pretty revolutionary thing to be able to travel so far it's a totally unexplored section of the galaxy for the federation they have never gone that far and it just comes across as kind of trite and cheap and just like a gimmick as a way to bring in other characters from the show that we've never seen before so that will change obviously going forward but it's a um it's a standout thing of season one that the wormhole Bajor, the Cardassian whole situation is not really explored except for in Emissary and in the hands of the prophets. Um, later season exploration of Bajor is promising, but it's a little schizophrenic. Bajor never really comes across as a consistent place of all, all the episodes that we go to visit it. Um, you know, it's different in the storyteller. It's different when in Emissary, when you meet Kaiopaka, it's different in battle lines when Opaka comes back. It's different in the hands of the prophets, how the people interact with each other. So they weren't really sure how they wanted Bajor to be portrayed. And it gets much better later on with um, progress and duets and in the hands of the prophets. It's a much better sense of what the Bajorans are and what Bajor is actually doing and how the religious aspects of Bajor are sort of... Uh, a problem potentially for the Federation going forward uh, because it's a sense of it's a point of contention and a little bit of strife between the Federation and the religious Bajorans about what the best way to go forward would be. So despite the fact that they set up the series with the idea that Bajor was going to be a major part, it doesn't really have a solid footing until later on in the uh, season. Episodes like the storyteller feel totally detached from anything else that goes on. Um, I think obviously Duet is the high point of the season. It's a very good episode. It's a very strong Star Trek episode in general. Um, great guest stars, great acting, great scripts, great pacing, good pretty much everything. I, I know I mentioned pacing was my problem with it and uh, the episode itself, but it's not really a big deal. It's still a all-time classic, one of the better uh, episodes, uh, especially in the first season. It's one of the great episodes, and it's probably one of the, you know one of the top 10, 15 by the time that the series is done. And that's being generous. I just I can't remember uh, that much. So it might be top five or something like that. But I would not remember. But I'd have to assume it's at least top 10 or top 15. Um, the, you know, settling into the rest of the series, the rest of the show um, and how the season progressed, the filming and production obviously got a lot better. Clay was unimpressed with the pilot when it came out, Emissary, uh, about how it looked. And it's it doesn't look any better because it never moves to high definition. It's not like a technical matter of looking better but they get much better at shooting the station especially ops early in the season shooting in ops was terrible and you can kind of understand why they eventually add a conference room because all of them sitting at the table doesn't make a lot of sense it's weird to shoot it doesn't look particularly great in a story level it's weird that the officers would be having a high level meeting in the middle of all the other lower officers sort of milling about the ops uh, station so I'm glad that they add a 
um, conference room. I think that that's important. But they did get better at filming those ops meetings. They get better at uh, filming Quark's Bar, the station in general, the promenade and everything. They get a little bit more creative with their angles and how to shoot the Cardassian architecture. So that's good. Obviously, people are learning. Season one is just, you know, the show getting its feet wet. No, it, it doesn't. It's far better than TNG's season one because TNG's season one was totally incompetent. DS9 season one is more, it's not incompetent as much as it's just boring. Um, and it's not sure of what it wants to do. It's not sure of how to set itself apart from other things and how to embrace the aspects that make it unique. So it's not the, although I will say on on some level watching TNG season one is more enjoyable just because of the train wreck aspect to it where DS9 season one episodes are, are really pretty dull. And I wouldn't recommend to go back and watch them because you don't get a, you don't get the thrill of watching a terrible episode. And you also don't get the enjoyment of watching a great episode except for duet maybe. So TNG has the season one aspect of you go back and you watch it. And the thrill of watching a terrible episode is there like you watching justice or you're watching, um, you know, uh, conspiracy, even though conspiracy is a pretty good episode, uh, you're watching things like the uh, code of honor, the naked now stuff like that. It's really just kind of, you go back and you watch it as like an artifact of a show that you enjoyed eventually. <laughs> so it's more like it's, I think Clay and I had talked about this. You, you get to a point where you're familiar enough with the characters where going back and watching the old episodes is a little bit enlightening in a way, because now that once you're familiar with them, the show takes on a different aspect and you sort of appreciate why those episodes didn't work in the first place. DS9, I don't know if it's going to be the same thing because it's much more solid of a series, even if it's not spectacular. So I don't know if going back would give you the same kind of um, thrill that going back and watching TNG would do. That's about it for the the series. Those are the big points. Um, you know, the storylines aren't particularly great. The scripts are warmed over TNG episodes. It's a lacking in the Bajor wormhole Cardassian aspect that uh, once that actually starts being introduced, the series starts improving. The episodes at least start improving. Um, duet's the high point. And the production values are actually increasing. Everything's starting to look better by the end of the first uh, season. So I thought we'd go into some character work here. Uh, characters who crossed over from TNG going off of Michael Pillar's thing are Miles O'Brien, he's the main character, Jean-Luc Picard in Emissary, Lorsen Bator in Past Prologue, Keiko O'Brien and Molly O'Brien in A Man Alone, uh, and they're recurring characters, but they appeared in A Man Alone first, Q and Vosh in Aculus, and Loxana Troy in The Forsaken. Other important recurring characters also make their first appearances in the first season of DS9. You got Gul Dukat, who will go on to be a primary antagonist, obviously, in the rest of the season or series. Nog uh, was an emissary, Rom an emissary. Uh, he was named Man Alone, though. Morn makes his appearance. Elam Garrick, past prologue. Garrick will obviously go on to be very, very important and probably considered to be one of people's uh, top characters, really, in, in a sense, even above some of the main cast members. Zek and the Nagus. Um, Win Adami and Burrell Antos. I think that's how I pronounce his name. Antos. 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 Uh, those are the two uh, Vedics in the hands of the prophets. So we have a lot of old characters coming. Uh, and I would argue that a lot of the TNG characters coming into the ep into the show are the worst episodes from DS9. Uh, it's better when it introduces new characters, such as the Vedics, and uh, whenever Gul Dukat gets a chance to do things in duets and things like that. Uh, the Ferengi are fleshed out here a little bit more. They're not particularly great at this point. They aren't really separated from uh, TNG Ferengi outside of Quark, who is given more lines of dialogue and a little bit more balanced. 
Um, and then Garrick is in past prologue, and we haven't seen him since past prologue. He only makes the first appearance, and then he returns in season two for a couple episodes. Uh, he was very good in past prologue, though. He's probably the best part of that episode. And he will go on to be a major important tentpole character for how DS9 will continue to view its characters. Um, Garrick's sort of the confusion that surrounds Garrick, I think, is important. And I think it's uh, uh, the writers must have realized that from his initial appearance and they wanted to bring him back because the the actor does a terrific job of portraying him. And he's also a fun character to write in a lot of ways. He's He's different than other characters on the show because Garrick can be written a little bit more creatively and a little bit more subtle, I suppose. Um, but the characters and actors are generally figuring everything out. Even though it's a shorter season, they generally settle into the roles by the end of it. Uh, most prominently, I think are Kira and Odo who go from not particularly strong in the first place to eventually being pretty good. Kira probably does the most drastic transformation from her opening appearance in Emissary, where she's a little bit too, brash and i mean this in an acting sense like she's a little too in your face on an acting sense she doesn't seem to be a great actress at this point she generally said uh nana visitor generally figures it out by the end of the season odo goes from being uh the performance is always good but they sort of figure out where to go with the odo character and i think that those two really stick out o'brien kind of stays about the same cisco stays around the same Dax stays around the same unfortunately bashir kind of stays the same except he's kind of an unfortunate characterization at this point I think that Cisco is good, but Avery Brooks struggles a little bit to balance the buttoned-up nature against the looser attitude. You see this a lot where he'll have these weird outbursts like an emissary where he goes like, woo, or whatever. And then um, in Q-less, when he fights Q, he has a sort of, he breaks his uptight, uh, measured persona and comes out as this sort of, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a, a little bit of a, like, over-the-top, broad um how the hell would you describe it just kind of like an energetic like hype man attitude or something like he does these like yips and yelps and everything it it always feels awkward when he does it i don't know if it's ever going to work uh the way that they want it to or the way that avery brooks thinks it's going to but otherwise cisco is very good and it's it's nice to see how cisco compares to picard and kirk because i think that he's very different even at this early stage he's obviously much more willing to bend the rules to get things done he has more of a fatherly relationship with the rest of the cast than um, the friendly relationship that Kirk had with people and the sort of standoffish uh, relationship that Picard had. Cisco is more, he's in a different situation, and I think that he realizes that he needs to bend his personality and Starfleet regulations to match the situation. And so it's created a different kind of commander. That's what we haven't seen before. Odo and Quark have a lot of scenes together. Um, it works well at first by the novelty and then it wears off on you, but then it eventually evolves into more of a cop-informant relationship, which is better, I think. Um, and so, you know, it, it it's obviously the best interaction that the show had going for it early, so they repeated it a lot. And it works, it just kind of wears out and you get kind of tired of them having the same sort of conversation. But then it eventually fixes itself by the end of the season. And it feels a little bit more balanced and they are doing it every single episode. Uh, Dax, in my opinion, is the worst character so far. She's totally underdeveloped. Even her Dax episode, it's called Dax, it puts her in the background of her own story and she doesn't really have anything to do with it. Um, Terry Farrell is pretty weak as an actress, or if she's not weak, she's horribly miscast in this, I think. 
the character is played as aloof and it doesn't really match what I consider the trill point to be. Um, the trill should basically be played as very mature, wizened young people. If you're going to put a symbiote into a young host, the host kind of, in my opinion, has to assume a air of like sage-like wisdom. Like they shouldn't get upset. They should be sort of above things. They should be very, very competent and very, very capable, but they should not have a lot of interest in the sort of like youthful things like relationships and stuff like that. And Dax is kind of written that way in this one, but I think that the actress isn't able to pull off the gravitas that I feel like Trill kind of needs. So she comes off as kind of like quirky and aloof, and I don't know if that really works for what the Trill are as a species. Um, I just feel like the experience and lifetime of wisdom that they've accumulated should really come through. They should have sort of they should have a lot of sort of advice in a lot of ways. Like they should, they should be the, the sort of consigliere to Cisco in a way that Dax isn't really here. Um, and that's kind of unfortunate. Kira is mostly the angry military woman at this point. It's not really great acting, but the Kira and Cisco relationship is subtle and it's probably one of the best developments of the first season. It really changes over the course of things. Um, even if the series itself isn't trying to pay too much attention to the Bajoran stuff, the relationship between um, Cisco and Kira as a representative of Bajor really does come across, especially later on in the season. Uh, they have a great scene together in progress and they have a good scene together in, in the Hands of the Prophets. Uh, duet is based around that as well, and it's obviously a very good episode. Bashir's a clown. Uh, he's out to get laid and have adventures at this point. He suffers from what I think we'll call prequel anical, an, prequel anical, prequel Anakin syndrome, where he's sold as incredibly impressive, but he never actually does anything impressive to sort of justify why everyone talks about him that way. When he came on board, he was sort of treated as a um, like a prodigy in some sense like he, he's always talking about his accomplishments in starfleet academy and everything like that and how he's going to fix the frontier and he's going to do all this great stuff and i don't think we've ever had we have not yet had an episode where bashir really does anything i think he solves a couple of minor mysteries for odo along the line but he doesn't really stand out as doing anything particularly good the episode vortex i think it's vortex right where he becomes possessed and gives that horrible performance as the uh possessed Bashir where they had to overdub his lines because of how bad the original lines were. So that's kind of it. Bashir changes, obviously, but he is a clown in the first season and it doesn't really, uh, they kind of tone it down, but he never really reconciles by the end of the season. They just kind of realize that they don't want to keep doing the silly sort of love angle with Dax and they don't want to do the silly uh, horn dog thing with Bashir constantly. And O'Brien is just solid as a rock. <laughs> Keiko uh, is better in small doses, but the O'Briens are always pleasant. O'Brien's a great character to have on the show. He's like a perfect TNG character to move over. Um, he fits perfectly. The performance is good all the time. He is very versatile. He's like the Phil Hartman. I mean, it's a, uh, I'm sort of overstepping my bounds in terms of quality here, but he's a Phil Hartman-esque character where he can fit in with a lot of the other characters and it feels like it makes sense. And so I think he's he's important on a writing standpoint uh, for that one. So that's it for the characters. We'll move into just some uh, little gimmicky awards here. So the awards for the first season, the best character, I think I'm going to give it to Kira just for the development that she shows throughout the first season. Starts off a little bit in your face. The actress gets a lot better by the end of it. Uh, culminates in duet where she has some pretty good scenes um 
her thing in battle lines was very good the sort of development about how she's perceived by the rest of Majorans is interesting i don't know really i can't remember if they go too much farther with it in that sense but her storyline makes a lot of sense and it feels like it is the continuity thread that's holding together season one even though a lot of the plots of the episodes aren't implying that there is a thread uh the kira cisco relationship and the kira of um persona is kind of carrying everything Worst character is Dax, uh, for reasons mentioned above. The best script goes to Duet. Uh, Duet is a really wonderful sort of stage play production, almost, on some levels. It could have been a play. The scenes in the brig are fantastic. It has probably the best lines of dialogue out of any of the seasons, um, just because it's dialogue that's not uh, memorable for how cheesy it is, but actually good lines, like the I'll try to make my lies more opaque is a great line. Um, you've already lost major is a great line. It's, it's the best script by far. And it ended up with the best episode in my opinion, best guest star, Harris Yulin in duet. He's uh plays Maritza, the Cardassian. He's excellent. He's outstanding. Uh, if you don't know Harris Yulin, the, the thing I always remember him from is he's the corrupt cop in uh, Scarface, the Al Pacino movie, um, who gets shot in uh spoilers. He gets shot in Scarface in sort of that, um, palm tree painted room. I can't really remember. But he's excellent in duet, adds a uh, layer of nuance to a character that desperately needed it. And if it was a, if it was an actor that was one half of how good Yulin is in that episode, it wouldn't have worked. It was like if it was a stock Star Trek guest actor coming in to do that role, it really would have been a huge letdown. The way that he plays that role and the nuance that he brings to the line readings and the way that he's playing both sides is really perfect. And I think he does a really great job. The worst guest star is uh, John Delancey's Q and Qless because Qless is terrible and it's the only Q appearance and it's unfortunate that Delancey comes back for that episode and that one alone. Um, really not very good. It's a bad Q episode because there, it's not in the mold of the good Q episodes, which is where he actually teaches you something. It's in the trickster god mold and those are always bad. So I'm going to give it to John Delancey as the worst appearance, guest star appearance. The biggest surprise, the lack of Cardassians and the lack of Bajor. Surprising how much, uh, how little Cardassian stuff there is in this. You don't even see Dukat in a lot of the episodes, which is surprising. Um, to the point where it's interesting that they even bring him back in duets, that they wanted him to return after the first uh, appearance in Emissary. Um, best episode, duet, no question there. And the worst episode... There's a lot to choose from. There's not not a lot. There's a couple. There's a lot of middling episodes. There's a lot. Of, there's a handful of terrible episodes, but in my opinion, the worst one is Move Along Home, or as uh, Clay sort of botched the joke about describing it, is Get the Fuck Out of Here. The episode, um, but yeah, Move Along Home is terrible. It's a really really bad episode. It is boring. It makes no sense. It is pointless. It is a warmed over TNG script. It is all those things that uh, made some of the down points of DS9 season one the down points. That's about it, guys. I think that's it for my wrap-up podcast. I know that you, uh, from the feedback we've gotten to, uh, for the survey, and again, do the survey if you haven't done it, win a chance to get a DVD set, or otherwise just help out the show by doing it. The feedback we've gotten is people don't like the uh, solo podcasts, which is which is understandable. I don't like doing them either, uh, but sometimes I just have to do them to keep things coming out because the number uh, two concern about the podcast is my infrequent release schedule. Hopefully that'll fix, but... Uh, this is a tradition, me giving my wrap-up videos. Uh, so that's about it. And thank you very much for listening. 
Again, you can go to the survey, which will be the link in the description. You can go to the uh, patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to join in on the AMA and you can join there. And Patreon announced that they're not doing their little fee thing, which is nice. They're not changing it to charge patrons more, uh, which is the correct decision, in my opinion. But yeah, check out all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, it's in the links. And you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show, get extra stuff, all of that. So we're going to be continuing season two or starting season two. Clay will be here for the first three episodes because it's that uh, serialized arc of the Bajoran thing. And then we'll be moving back into standard operating procedure. So uh, is that it? I think that's it. I think we're done. I think we're done with season one. It took a while, but I'm thankful we'll be done with it. One seventh of the DS9 series out of the way. Moving on to season two which uh, might not be peak DS9, but it's certainly much better. There's a couple episodes in this season that I actually know as a liking. Uh, Whispers is one of them. Jemadar is another one. Anyway, I'm excited to move on to season two. It's been a lot of fun listening and watching DS9. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and I'll see you next time.